But now here we are where I want to formally start the tour. So I want you all to look behind me. I'm standing in one of the oldest Chinatowns in California, and even the country, San Francisco Chinatown. And looking up under the historic entryway with its green tile awnings and red lanterns, I decide to take a guided tour, hoping to learn more about this place's history and its importance for Asian Americans. So first of all, good morning everybody. My name is Linda Lee and I am the owner of All About Chinatown Tours. Linda's tour leads us through the famous narrow alleys of Chinatown. We visit some open air markets, a Buddhist temple, and a fortune cookie factory. Did you like it, the samples? Yeah. So fresh, right? So here's a story behind the fortune cookie. Do you know this, who invented it? I expected I might feel a sense of pride in going on this tour. In a lot of ways, it's a place that represents the beginning of Asian-American identity in this country. But I actually ended up feeling disconnected from the entire experience and was left with that distinct feeling of being caught in the middle. As Chinatowns gentrify or disappear or just change in terms of who's living there, these spaces can be somewhat ephemeral. Over time, many of these places won't continue to serve the same people that they do today. So I asked myself, what do these neighborhoods mean to Asian Americans? And how important are they to building our present sense of identity? You're listening to Mid-Pacific, a podcast exploring Asian American identity. I'm your host, Sarah Mises-Tan. So I took the Chinatown walking tour, but I got the sense that it wasn't for someone like me, someone who was neither a newly immigrated Chinese person nor an American with no familiarity with Chinese culture. I did meet up with someone who helped me better connect with Chinatown's roots, though. My name is Mei Shonig. We're standing here in Portsmouth Square. This is the living room of Chinatown. Mei is a third-generation Chinese-American. Oh, well, I'm just a, uh, <laughs> a typical Chinese that was born and raised here in San Francisco and lived in Chinatown. When I was uh, growing up, the library was my uh, refuge and a uh, place where I can imagine what life was. May's grandfather immigrated to the city in 1905 and worked on nearby farms and sold vegetables in the area. She remembers growing up in Chinatown in the 1960s and 70s and loved the close-knit community. It's like going back to my, my roots. And I could walk down the streets and I can say so-and-so's father used to own that. So I have a lot of association where I don't just look at what is there right now. I have the memories. But May also says that San Francisco Chinatown isn't quite the same community it was when she was growing up. Many of the families she knew have since sold their businesses and moved out to the suburbs. And most of the folks who live in this area now are elderly and live in low-income housing. The children don't want to keep up the restaurant because it's too much work. So this building is just kind of open and was left for a sale. The whole thing is that, okay, it could go to the highest bidder, that means that person can come here and just completely tear it up and make it into what they want. What she's talking about, that's part of how gentrification and displacement happen. And that's what we're seeing all over the country. But at the same time, she also knows change in Chinatown is unstoppable. This is a historical landmark that is continuing to evolve. So there may be changes, but new people come in and then new people bring in different styles.
In New York's Chinatown, street signs written in Chinese characters are now being removed or taken down as its Chinese population dwindles. Younger generations are moving out for better opportunities, and older generations are being pushed out by rising rents. In Chicago and Boston, new high-rise apartments are being built in historic Chinatowns, and many are concerned about how this could price out older residents. In some ways, it feels like San Francisco Chinatown today, a lot of it just isn't really for Asian Americans. That's why I connected with Andrew Leong, a professor at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. He's been working on a documentary about how Chinatowns across the country are evolving and gentrifying. We find a sense of belonging and security in this particular place. It is sanctuary for us. And that's why, you know, we gravitate and we want to make sure that, you know, Chinatowns exist, not just for the Chinese, really, but for all Asian Americans, you know, into the next generations. So Asian Americans have always been cast as the perpetual foreigner, someone who will never really be seen as American. And Andrew says because of this, Asian Americans will always need these specific neighborhoods that cater directly to us. For those Asian Americans that don't, quote unquote, need it, I think in some measure they're kidding themselves. Because as Asian Americans, you know, we are caught in that particular space about belonging. He also says that one of the challenges for Asian immigrants is they often seek out whiteness in where they live because they associate whiteness with prosperity. So they eventually want to leave these historic enclaves. Chinatown is where these families initially land, but that's not the goal to continue to live there. They then gravitate towards, you know, what is white identity, whatever is the dominant, you know, identity within that new geographical locale that they live in. But because Asian Americans aren't white and we have never really been accepted as such, they lose their sense of community belonging when they move to a more prosperous white majority neighborhood. And so you develop as the young person growing up, you know, you have that split identity, you have that struggle with that identity. He says his family originally lived in Chicago's Chinatown, but soon they moved out to the majority white suburbs of Iowa. And he had a bit of an identity crisis. He wasn't white, but he was surrounded by white culture, which saw him as an outsider. I'm sure many of you can relate to this feeling. He became embarrassed about being Asian. It slowly ingrains itself into your psyche about how proud you are to be the identity that you originated from. And you're then you're melting yourself into whiteness. Andrew says we lose our collective sense of Asian American identity when places like San Francisco's Chinatown gentrify or are redeveloped. When Asian Americans move out to the white suburbs, they feel a pressure to become white, which is an unachievable goal. But let's think about this for a second. What happens when Asian Americans move out to the suburbs and those suburbs are not majority white, but in fact, majority Asian? Is something of the old Chinatowns preserved? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to share something we heard briefly in our first episode. Uh, my name is Ryan Liu. So I, I generally identify with being Cantonese, but I also identify with being an Angelino, being a, a native of LA, being a native Californian. And you know, sometimes, depending on, on the news of the day, yes, I'm an American too. 
Ryan grew up and lives in the San Gabriel Valley, a collection of cities about a half hour east of downtown Los Angeles. I spoke with Ryan before the tragic shooting that happened over Lunar New Year that killed 12 people in Monterey Park. Ryan believes that this area is actually the seat of modern Asian America in California. These are the new Chinatowns. Yeah, I think what makes this place special, and I think a lot of other diaspora communities can relate to this, is that when I'm in this area, you know, I don't really have to change who I am. And that this this place sort of, it represents me, and I feel like a good representative of the, of the area. Ryan's family actually originally lived in Los Angeles Chinatown. But once they became more financially stable, they moved out to the San Gabriel Valley like many other upwardly mobile Asian Americans. Monterey Park, a neighborhood of the San Gabriel Valley, was actually specifically marketed as a suburban community for Asian Americans in the 1960s and 70s. And today, the San Gabriel Valley is majority Asian. Over half a million Asian Americans live there, according to the most recent census, with the largest groups being of Japanese, Chinese, Korean, Filipino, Taiwanese, and Vietnamese descent. I suspect that if had I grown up in an area where there were very few people who looked like me, I think there would be more of a, you know, a bit of an identity crisis or more of a concerted effort to to know who you are and how you fit into the community. It kind of seems ideal in some ways. But I also know many Asian Americans aren't so lucky to have grown up there. And, and I think when you grow up in the Sangro Valley, it's such a, it's such a privilege to, uh, to not have to necessarily go through those experiences. Like, I think that it, it's, it's different in the Sangro Valley. It allows the people who grew up here to be more natural and, and practice whatever culture they come from in whatever way they want. But for all that sense of belonging and identity that comes from this place, Ryan also says he doesn't think suburban or modern Asian-American enclaves could ever replace urban Chinatowns. In part because he says his family needed Los Angeles Chinatown to establish their foothold before they could move to a place like the San Gabriel Valley. What, what I see Chinatowns across the U.S. nowadays is that for the most part, a lot of them house like lower income seniors. The, the primary purpose, at least today, is that they, they provide a specifically dense neighborhood with public transportation and walkability and services for a specific type of, of demographic that, you know, often may not have family support or, or resources to, to get around and, and live their lives. And I think and that is not being fulfilled in the suburban Chinatowns or what or Sangro Valley, really. Maybe older Chinatowns don't hold relevance for younger Asian Americans anymore. But there are newer groups of Asian immigrants making urban spaces a place of belonging. This connection between old and new really stands out in Long Beach, less than an hour south of L.A.'s downtown Chinatown, where Cambodian immigrants and Cambodian Americans are finding a renewed sense of identity that they thought they'd lost. Our associate producer, Jaira Deng, visited recently. Jaira, hey, what's going on? Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So you visited Cambodia town in Long Beach. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So a lot of people actually don't know this, but Long Beach actually has the largest number of Cambodians living outside of Cambodia. And there's a thriving community here that's been built um, in the past three decades. The first place that I visited was Sophie's Cambodia Town Food and Music. My name's Sophie Hood. I'm... 55 years old. When I arrived in in, the United States, I was nine years old, so I didn't have a chance to learn much back home. I was, you know, a little kid trying to just 
survive. I didn't have a chance to learn much, but being in Long Beach, I had a lot of um, opportunity to learn quite a bit about my um, culture. And what drew Sophie particularly to Long Beach, out of all places? She was drawn to this area by the recommendation of like her friends who knew that she had a Cambodian restaurant business. And people were telling her, hey, there's a lot of Cambodians that live in Long Beach. Like, you should move your business here. How do you feel that Cambodia Town and its existence has shaped younger generations' view and vision of what it means to be Cambodian and Cambodian-American? Yeah, so I talked to Johnny Chung, who's a native of Long Beach and also a restaurant owner. And I own a drink company called Sweetgrass Sugarcane Juice. I am Cambodian-American. I am the son of refugees. Here we are, the diaspora that's living in Long Beach, California. And he remembers growing up feeling disconnected from parts of his Cambodian-American identity. For a little while, I don't think anybody really had any identity when it comes to being Cambodian-American. There's a disconnect of like, um, you know, I'm an American I, w- I didn't escape the genocide. My parents did. And so, like, there's so much unspoken trauma between that and the fact that I, I speak English and it's really difficult to really, like, communicate with our parents. And Johnny sort of describes how he's seen the community kind of rally together because of the designation Cambodia Town and sort of, like, noticing how people are gathering and organizing around uh, their culture and their community's needs. I'm starting to believe in the idea of abundance and there's enough to go around for everybody. And um, I'm hoping uh, that shift is going to be the same with everybody else. And so um, once we come together, we're going to be a a force. I feel like a lot of us Asian Americans can totally relate, or at least us first generation Asian Americans can totally relate to that funny feeling of feeling in that gap between like, your culture and your family's heritage on one end, and then also trying to assimilate into, you know, the culture that's surrounding you right now, American culture. Yeah, and I think that's even almost exacerbated by the fact that so many Cambodians came to the U.S. as refugees, and there's a lot of trauma and a lot of mistrust. You know, I heard a lot of people that I talked to describe sort of like this, the regime that had been in place in Cambodia at the time, was really like um, created a lot of distrust between your neighbors because people would be reporting on each other. And then so when you come to a new country and you're trying to start fresh, how do you like build those connections between you and your community again? It's about rebuilding trust and also um, trying to find um, a community in a foreign space. As an Asian American yourself, Jaira, what did it feel like to you to be in Cambodia town? Did you end up feeling like, you know, we heard from our expert earlier that all these Asian enclaves across America tend to hold a sense of belonging for Asian Americans? So as someone who's Taiwanese and Hong Kong American, I still felt a lot of like draw to these cultural places because It just felt really similar to like how I felt growing up, which is these intergenerational connections and also just like the connection and communal gathering around food. Like these are threads that I think a lot of Asian Americans um, experience um, navigating between that liminal space of being both American and from somewhere else. Cambodia Town is like the only place in Long Beach that I feel like really connected to this like Central Asian American community where I'm not just Asian or I'm not just American, but I can be both at the same time. 
I find myself asking, if we're Asian American, where is Asian America? And I think the answer is wherever we are, even if that space and those people are constantly changing and evolving. I think about what Johnny Chom said, this idea about coming together in Cambodia town and how when we come together, we can be a force. And that's exactly where we're headed. Stick with us for our next episode, where we'll talk about the power of coming together and what it means to organize and be in politics in spaces that aren't explicitly for Asian Americans. Mid-Pacific is a CAP Radio production reported and hosted by me, Sarah Mises-Tan. Our producer is Jen Picard. Associate producer is Jaira Deng. Antonio Muniz mixed the sound. We had editing help from Nick Miller and Shane Nuesca. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Special thanks to Alyssa Jong-Perry. Chris Bruno is in charge of marketing. Our designs were created by Marissa Espiritu. Renee Thompson is our digital products manager. Our theme song is Can't Hold Us Back by Polar Tropica. You can find that on iTunes or Spotify. To make sure you don't miss a single episode, be sure to subscribe, follow, or add us to your podcast feed. Thank you so much for listening to Mid-Pacific.